Ladies and gentlemen, do welcome to the next episode of my Save Bet show. And it gives me an absolute pleasure. And of course, it's a privilege to welcome Dr. Brett Ababanel as my guest. Brett, great to have you on the show. Martin, thank you so much for having me. It's fairly unlikely that there would be too many people in this industry that would have never heard about Dr. Brett. But for those who haven't, or as a reminder, these days amongst many other roles. She's the executive director of the International Gaming Institute at UNLV, i.e. University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And this will be my first question, Brad, actually. You know, <laughs> making of Dr. Brad, how did that all happen? Folks are not necessarily born with a PhD, although if there was a someone who would deserve to be born with it, it's definitely you, but just like everybody else, you've had to work really, really hard to obtain this prestigious qualification and degree that's been added to your name. So could you tell me and those who are watching us today about your schooling and how you've actually reached the very lofty heights of your professorship? Sure. It's, uh, <laughs> it was the kind of thing where I believe many people have gone through a similar experience in their life. They sort of stumbled into something that showed up on their doorstep and they thought, all right, you know what? This seems interesting. I'm going to pursue it. And my story is quite like that. I grew up in a small little beach town in California that was right next to a horse race track. And for a long time growing up, uh, it was simply the cause of very extensive traffic every summer when the races would come to town. But as I grew older, it, it was much more appealing, whether it was something regarding kind of the tourism that brought into my tiny little city, whether it was the actual racing itself. I found the horses themselves to be really interesting. And also then the betting and the statistics that could go into this attempts to predict horse races. And when I went off to university for my undergraduate degree, it was right around the time of the huge poker boom of the early 2000s. And while I was studying statistics, somebody came up to me and said, oh, hey, by the way, uh, if you're going to be studying statistics, how would you feel about me bankrolling you in my poker game? And I thought, yeah, OK, that seems like a pretty interesting idea. So I started out being bankrolled in this poker game. And eventually I actually was bankrolling myself. Part of it was through the poker play. And part of it was uh, I did have a job when I was an undergraduate. I was a math grader in the math department. So I, every semester, would get um, the weekly homework assignments from a math professor. I would create an answer key, or if I was very lucky, I'd be given an answer key. <laughs> and then I would grade the homeworks for that class. I was paid a grand total of $8 an hour for this very important task. And I built that into a bankroll. While I was doing all of this, this continued to drive my interest in the horse race track that had been in my backyard. And I ended up writing a thesis about predicting the results of horse races, uh, which given that I am now a public university professor, you can probably guess was not a particularly successful venture, but it was fun nonetheless. And as I continued doing this, I eventually moved to Las Vegas. When I finished my degree, I stumbled upon UNLV. It's right here, this huge place in my backyard. And I started working at International Gaming Institute as a research assistant. Uh, I was with Bo Barnhart all the way back then. And he said, look, you know, while you're here, 
how would you feel about getting a degree? And I said, oh, yeah, I love education. Let's do that, too. And before I knew it, I had a PhD, and here I am. Well, unlike me, you clearly have every right to be in this industry. It's me who stumbled across it and has not been kicked out yet. And there's another parallel. I also happen to be hailing from a horse racing town. <laughs> Talking about UNLV, your alma, I would pronounce it alma mater, but I'll try to do it in the American way. So your alma mater, home of the great international gaming institute. Now, what makes that place? so special? Is it the umbilical cord with the Vegas-based and even the wider industry? And you know, besides that, does it go beyond? Does it go far deeper? Or is it the people like Bo and Ellen Feldman and all that crowd? It's everything. One of the really great things about IGI is its tenure. We are actually in our 30th anniversary this year. And when you think about academic institutions or departments, institutes like ours that study this kind of niche phenomenon of gambling, 30 years is really old. I mean, this is like ancient stuff in the gambling research world, right? And so because we've had that long tenure, we've been able to evolve with the gambling world. So when we started, there was a, a clearly a hyper-focus on Las Vegas, on this resort casino concept. It's literally in our backyard. If I walk out of my office and go about, gosh, two miles or what is that, about three and a half kilometers for your listeners who are not <laughs> based in America or the UK, we have an entire Las Vegas strip right there. We've got an entire downtown area. We have a Boulder Strip area here in town. And so that was really the main focus when we started in 1993. But always since we've existed, we've had this drive to evolve as the industry and the gambling world as a whole, because it exists beyond just a kind of straightforward gambling industry itself. We've evolved with it. And so now it's not just a matter of having this umbilical cord to Las Vegas. That's still very much a core part of who we are, because that's where we are. But we also have a very international reach and a very broad reach into all these other different ways that people can take risks and play gambles. So things like uh, this broader digital world that we exist in and looks at different, for example, payment methods and currencies like cryptocurrency, concepts like the blockchain, things like mobile games and other sorts of developments that allow us to gamble in ways that aren't necessarily flying to Las Vegas, taking a cab over to the Strip and walking into, say, the Bellagio and placing a bet. Well, I'm clearly one lucky man because today I'm completing the triptych, if you pardon the pun, of the Las Vegas Aces. Because we've had the other two gurus on this show, namely Bo Bernard and Ellen Feldman, and uh, that's already been mentioned. And we've got we got Brad today. Everybody very much driving the International Gaming Institute forward under Brad's leadership these days, of course, and I'm sure you will want to also take shameless advantage of this podcast and invite everybody, because it's, it is the 30th anniversary, to your upcoming conference, so you'd be most welcome to do that, but while you're thinking about that line, my next question is about responsible gambling mm -hmm. itself. Three to four, if not five years of very frantic legislative activity up and down this country. The industry, I would suggest, had its honeymoon period that may be, however, coming 
to an end because we're up against rather severe criticism. And I'm not only talking about those infamous New York Times articles. <laughs> so in your view, where do we as an industry stand and where do you stand on that whole debate? And what's the most efficient way forward with a view to achieving a U.S. sports betting and wider online gambling industry that's focused on its long-term sustainability? Well, it's interesting you word the question that way because you've actually taken some of the words that I was going to say here, which is long-term sustainability. When PASPA was first overturned by the Supreme Court, long-term sustainability was not front of mind. It was customer acquisition. It was growth. It was how do we capitalize on this thing that has been forbidden for such a long time? Again, we're talking <laughs> 25, 30 years now since, since this has been uh, initially passed in the early 90s. And so the idea that this was now a widespread thing, that they had to compete with organizations that offered things like DFS and had built-in databases already to begin with, with customers, there was a lot of frenzy, like you said, that there had to be this interest and this growth in the sports betting area. And then more broadly, as that has grown, it's also included a variety of other things. We started to see things like online casino get tapped into online sports betting bills or other types of bills that are being passed. And so the concept of growth has just been front of mind for so many people in the industry now for these four to five years that have passed. And as that's happened, like you said, we started to see some backlash. This is the kind of opportunity where when that growth happened, we could have started from the get-go with this idea of, okay, how do we create a sustainable industry? And a sustainable industry is one that embraces the concept of responsible gambling because it means that you're looking for healthy, long-term gamblers who will be part of your business. And if you're not achieving that, you're not achieving long-term sustainability. So while the best time to have done this would have been really about May 2018, but frankly, as corny as it sounds, then the next best time is now to incorporate some of these concepts, to think about what your advertising looks like, to think about the types of tools that you might be incorporating into the product that you have, even if it's something as simple as um, time limit settings or, or bet limit settings, whether it's something like communications that you have with your bettors or with your customers as a whole. Maybe it's something where you have to think about what your customer base is like. There are a few different companies that are out there, and I, I don't name names because we are very, uh, uh, we, we really like to embrace our neutrality here at International Gaming. <laughs> but there have been a couple of companies that have really embraced this, and they've really looked at what the, the core demographic is of their customer base and what that community is like, what they are interested in. And they're tailoring some of that responsible gambling messaging to what it is that people are used to hearing. So it doesn't just kind of stick out like a sore thumb and get ignored in the same way that you might have just like in a car commercial, a, a super fast whole lot of different details about the terms and conditions that come with the ad and whatever car it is that you're about to buy. And it's actually more integrated into the messaging that's being provided. I will not name any names either, but <laughs> I just say that my hope is that there will be more of us. <laughs> Moving on to the next topic that is very, very close to your heart, and that's esports and video gaming, including betting on esports. Mm -hmm. uh, you also happen to be a founding director of the Nevada Esports Alliance. So what's the current state of play in e of esports and esports betting regulation, both in Nevada and by the United States? 
Well, it's certainly growing. This is an area that's still not completely understood. Esports carries the name esports because it bears a lot of the hallmarks of sport. Uh, things like spectatorship of competition, the way that events are created, how we watch and play and compete within these sorts of esports and competitions. But in itself, it, it really is a different animal. It's the uh, beyond this concept of, of competition, the competition itself is unique. You're playing these games, these video games that are held, the, they're IP of game developers. You're competing on platforms that aren't necessarily the same traditional platforms that you might see sport competed on. And so all of this then generates an industry that starts to have different needs and different qualifications for how it will look in a gambling and gambling regulatory environment, whether that's something like technical needs for oversight for integrity issues or something like uh, new traders on a trading desk to be able to determine odds because the numbers and the understanding of what makes a really talented or, or untalented competitor are quite different. And so as we start to see that develop, we have a space that's still quite niche and quite new. And because of that, there's a lot of attention that needs to be paid to this. One of the most interesting kind of misnomers that I see when it comes to growth in esports betting regulation is just the treatment of esports itself as a betting product. So in that sense, saying, okay, uh, we have all of these new products. We have online casino and we have these new slot machines and we have esports. But esports itself is not a gambling product, right? We don't say, and we have sports. We say we have sports betting. And so I think that that's a, a major area that we really have to be more cautious about, or we're really not getting that kind of understanding that will ensure that we have fair betting, that we have fair games, and really a broader, stronger foundation on which esports and esports betting in tandem can grow. And in a similar vein, it may be a controversial question, but I will ask it regardless with your kind permission. Do you think that esports in all their variety can one day take over the role of traditional sports as the ultimate public fascinator or mesmerizer, bearing in mind Super Bowls coming to Vegas next year? So will there one day be the esports equivalent of Super Bowl that pretty much everybody up and down the country and around the world will tune in? I think that esports itself and global cultures are unique enough that we'll struggle to see that in our lifetimes. It may eventually happen. Think about how long games like football, and, and by this I mean soccer for, for our uh, fellow American viewers, <laughs> right? The beautiful game. It's not like this came about 10 years ago when somebody invented the game and now it's this global phenomenon. It, it, we've been kicking a ball around on a pitch for hundreds and hundreds of years, even before the, the rules of the game specifically were invented. And so I think that there's there's a much longer trajectory for esports as a whole and individual games within esports to have that growth. And then the other piece of this is just the speed with which esports evolves in terms of the games themselves. New games are regularly being developed. And if a new game really piques the interest of the games community or of gamers, then you're going to start to see a lot more interest in that game. People will move away, perhaps, from other games. And you can see explosive growth from that, uh, whether that's from community interest, game developer investment, 
And a really great example of that is Overwatch. Overwatch's only been around since about 2016-ish. And Activision Blizzard made a huge investment in it. Uh, there's the, I, it's a little questionable how completely successful the Overwatch League really is. However, that kind of growth was possible in a way that might not necessarily be the case for brand new sports, for example. And so with all of these different things, to me, it's, it's not a controversial question that you ask, because to me, it's a completely different thing. I don't need to see a world in which, uh, you know, there's an esport that rivals the size of the Super Bowl in order to determine that esports has been successful. In my mind, it's, it's broader spectatorship of competition and that the interest and viewership of all of this takes on a very different form and the metrics for its success are quite different. And I suspect it actually might be quite deceptive because the likes of, and correct me if I'm wrong, the likes of Call of Duty and many other games, they've been around for a while and their coding might not have necessarily changed and they've got their hard core fans who are very conservative and who are not prepared to let the title publisher change anything about those games. Whereas I suppose in the minds of the general public, the esports players are 16-year-old Korean whiskets. Anyway, I shall digress and before giving Brett her chance to shine even more and most definitely pave a way, very well-deserved way to the whole of gambling fame in not to a distant future, her 60 seconds to convey her key messages. Let me ask about traditional sports. We're both huge sports fans. We do not necessarily support the same teams, but there is an overlap. Josh McDaniels <laughs> now at the helm and in charge of the Raiders. So do you think the Raiders will go far and deep next season? Do you believe in Jimmy G? <laughs> I would be a really terrible fan if I did not say we are going to win it all next year because I have faith in this team. <laughs> well, fingers crossed. I hope because we're filming for the record. Uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs is starting next week. So in the run up to the Stanley Cup mm -hmm. playoffs, I hope that uh, the Knights will not win it this year. I very much hope it will be the Bruins. But do you think that the Bruins will get to see the Golden Knights in the final? I would love to have the Bruins see the Golden Knights in the final. And I will see you that, there. <laughs> that would be absolutely amazing. Yes, we'll go to Vegas and we'll go to Boston. Now, Brad, please, your 60 seconds to convey your key messages. You may talk about anything you like, but ideally about the gambling industry, if you don't mind. <laughs> sure. One of the things I'd like to address is, is what IGI does and what the gambling research and academic field really looks like. I think that over the past few years, maybe up to the last decade, there's really been this misunderstanding of what gambling research as a whole is. There's a lot of focus that the academic world is just focused on problem gambling or just focused on responsible gambling, but there's so much more to it. Obviously, the, the problem in responsible gambling and safer gambling spaces are key to what we do. That's a huge part of the academic world. And then there's also so many other areas that people are researching and understanding. And it's so valuable, in, in, in my view, that we make sure that everything that's going on in our research world can be understood and translated into something useful for the world around us whether that's the industry. A lot of what we do at IGI 
has industry application, whether that's directly for business operations, whether that's for something like ESG and responsible gambling, whether that's something like communication with regulators, that means that there's a better relationship or better understanding between the regulatory world and the industry that it regulates. And all of this can be encapsulated in one triennial event that IGI hosts. The next event will be the end of May, May 23rd to 25th of this year at Park MGM. IGI hosts this event since 2013, but it's much older than that. It's the oldest, biggest, and in my completely unbiased, unabashedly shameless opinion, the best gambling research conference that exists. It dates back to 1974. And at the first conference, the idea was really, this is a weird niche field, and we study it. There are maybe six people who came to that first event in 1974. And now our last event was 2019. We had one extra year, thanks to COVID. And in 2019, we had over 500 people come. In fact, it was almost close to 600 who were registered for this event. And we're hoping to get even more this year. It brings in folks from all over the world who study all different areas. We have academic content. We have industry-focused content, applied content. Our keynotes really span the gamut of both gambling and risk-taking. This is the International Conference on Gambling and Risk-Taking, and we embrace every single keyword in that title. And all of this really culminates in a fascinating place where everybody can come and talk about this gambling activity from their own perspective. And that's what we encourage. We want people to discuss. We want people to debate and do it in this healthy area that we can continue to further not just our field, but this place that we study, this area of gambling that's just so interesting and that I'm sure every single person who listens to the Safe Bet Show wants to know more about. So please come join us May 23rd to 25th at Park MGM. If you have any questions, please email me. I'm sure Martin can make sure my email address is available. Or check out the IGI website at igi.unlv.edu. Be there or be square. We shall all be there. You can, ladies and gentlemen, tell that Dr. Brett Ababanel also moonlines as a marketer, and she's absolutely brilliant at that as well, just like many other things. Thank you very much for coming on to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Mm -hmm.